A Week in the Week, a special. We're sort of missing out half the story. And the assumption, of course, is that, that women didn't do very much. You know, they were in the home or whatever. But that's A, that's history too. And B, they did. You know, I found economists and scientists and writers. A Week in the Week, a special. Hello and welcome to Week in the Weege. I'm Selena Jackson. And I'm Natalie Crawford. And this week we are joined by Sarah Sheridan, author extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah uh, is publishing a book this month where she has reimagined all of the landmarks, statues, streets in Scotland uh, that are named after men and and reimagined them as being named after women which Mm -hmm. I just love thank you I love it too (laughs) (laughs) so where did this idea come from um it came from an article in the New Yorker so there's an American feminist writer called Rebecca Solnit who um renamed all the stops on the New York subway after women and I saw that article in the New Yorker had had drawn a map and um just got a bit ambitious with the idea because there's sort of 48 stops (laughs) on the New York subway and thought, no, 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 what we need to do is the entire country. So away I went. (laughs) Amazing. How how long did it take you, first of all, just to go through the whole of the country and pick out all these landmarks, never mind finding the women that you were going to rename them after? Well, I started with the women, actually, rather than with the landmarks. So... um, I am a historical novelist to trade, so I'm used to doing a you know big research projects. But it was a doozy of a big research project. Mm. So I got my specs on, um, eyes eyes down, and sorted through the biographies of around maybe five to six thousand Scottish women, wow. and chose about a thousand that I thought were a really good mix, uh, different people doing mm. different things, things that were interesting. Um, I was kind of shocked and horrified about how many I hadn't heard of mm-hmm. uh, before because it, it's my field, so I was kind of interested in it. And I was finding these women thinking, how do I not know about you? Whose mm-hmm. granny are you? You know, yeah. um, And then uh, and then got a map and thought, well, where am I going to put them all? And, and what kind of monument would really suit them? Because, you know, a lot of our memorial culture are street names and, and statues, and that's very Victorian, maybe Edwardian, um, but there are a lot of brilliant ways to memorialise people and perhaps more creatively than just a big brass person. So um, big brass people have their places and in our central squares or big streets sometimes in, in cities, that, that's where they belong. But um, I wanted to do things with uh, light shows and lectures and mm. bells and all kinds of exciting other ideas um, and we have an amazing landscape. You know, we have urban landscapes and we have some of the most incredible rural landscapes in the world. So there are lots of places where you thought, you know, why have we got an old man of Hoy? Maybe we should have an old woman of Hoy. Yeah, That's absolutely. a good idea. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting what you were saying about being a historian and going through and being shocked at the amount of women that you hadn't heard of. Mm. Um, I think in your introduction, you say that like less than half a percent of all recorded history is dedicated to women or something like or that? Or it comes from women's material. So yeah. Bethany Hughes, who's an amazing historian, did a study in 2016 and that's what she came up with. 0.5% of recorded history is female history. So we're sort of missing out half the story. Mm-hmm. And the assumption, of course, is that, that women didn't do very much. You know, they were in the home or whatever. But that's A, that's history too. Mm-hmm. And B, they did. You know, I found economists and scientists and writers, um, women who actually 
achieved a lot in their own eras and perhaps were very famous in their own eras. And part of our culture is to forget women much more quickly, perhaps, than we forget the achievements of men. Um, and so that was kind of really interesting because as a novelist, I'd worked uh, uh, researching particular stories before. And, and with a novel, you go into everything, you know, you go into what you had for breakfast and what kind of pants they wore and how long <laughs> it took to get from one thing to another. And, you know, you know everything about that person by the time you're you're writing the book about them. Um, but with this, it was really interesting because it was such a broad landscape. I'd picked women from prehistory and uh, mythical women, uh, uh, medieval women and, and, and just seeing those generations thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, we have this incredible culture. Our grannies and great grannies and great great grannies were amazing. Uh, and, and particularly they stood up for what they believed in. You know, mm. we have a lot of activists. We have a lot of um, pol- you know, political activists as well as economic activists. We had economists. We had all sorts of stuff that I, I, I just hadn't realised generation after generation after generation. So that was amazing to realise that that's kind of what we come from. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're the women that have sort of shaped the world that we live in today and paved the women for, paved the women, paved the way for <laughs> women today. So, yeah. I mean, were there many that perhaps you hadn't even heard of before? And once you started looking into them, you thought, Totally. It was amazing. horrifying how many I hadn't heard of. And and actually, there's a whole lot of Victorian women who were going out being thinking that they were the first in their field. And actually, there were medieval women who had done that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, because, the, because the medieval women had been forgotten, the Victorian women mm. thought they were the first. Yeah. I thought, well, how much more difficult is that then to achieve if you think you're the first all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, two generations, you've got to be the yeah. first again. Mm-hmm. And so I found like medieval tax collectors in Dundee. I found um, an amazing woman called uh, Rose Blaise de Bury, who was born in Oban and who... Um, wrote in the 1850s an economic policy for Austria. Oh, wow. Like, why had I not heard of Rose Blaise de Bury, who, like, like had correspondence with Bismarck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found um, Dorothy Stevenson, cousin of Robert Louis Stevenson, mm-hmm. who sold 40 million copies of her books in her lifetime. Wow. I was completely forgotten. You know, there's statues to Robert Louis all over the place. She outsold him, mm-hmm. you know. And, and her books are, are very different from his, but they're great. And so... Uh, you know, the title of of this book is Where Are the Women? And this is what I kept coming. Every time I was reading something, I was like, where are the women? Why are they not here? Like, how have we managed to, how have we managed to do this? And mm-hmm. actually, I think the way we have done it is, it's uh, there's been a kind of long-term um, kind of feeling that uh, you don't want to show off if you're a woman. You don't mm-hmm. want to blow your own trumpet. Uh, and so people didn't. And mm-hmm. so they have very much been forgotten. Yeah. Well, there, mm-hmm. there's that old saying, isn't there, that history is written by the victors. Mm. So... If, if if women aren't, you know, men are, are seen to be the, the victors in every situation, yeah. they're never going to get the opportunity to... To tell their own to side tell of their own yeah. And so our history's really skewed. I mean, someone said to me, oh, you're really revisionist. And I was like, this needs revising, you know, <laughs> yeah. because, um, and, and and not just for the women, also for the men. You know, that puts a lot of pressure on men. You don't have to do that. There's the other 50% of the population that's also creating great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's really about... Um, the book's a bit of a provocation because I have taken out all the men. <laughs> and, and and in my ideal world, you know, that actually doesn't happen. But mm-hmm. but what I hope is people will read the book, go out into the street and think, actually, what we've got is quite weird because mm-hmm. having it with all women is quite weird. But also what we've really got in real life is even weirder. Well, that's the thing. It's not about kind of erasing the men, but it's about finding a way of knitting the two of them together and remembering all of these people that did amazing things yeah. regardless and, and of whether male each or other. female. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, Sir Walter Scott or Robert Burns, you know, they were supported by women who were also in their field and they in their turn supported those women. In fact, mm-hmm. particularly Walter Scott uh, was a real ally to a lot of female writers. Um, and so it's representing their world as it as it really was, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So once you, you had the women, how did you then go about deciding who was going to be assigned to 
where and what? Well, it's really their story. I mean, what kind of monuments? So there, there's lots of different kinds of monuments in there. So there's individual monuments to women. So where were they born or, or where were they educated? Or, you know, did they achieve something that was in a particular place? Um, and, and finding something that really chimed with them. So some of the big guns, um, for example, Wilhelmina Fleming, who was an amazing astrologer, uh, born in Dundee, went to America, discovered like hundreds of stars and all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, I gave her an observatory on um, on. On, on the big hill in Dundee. Mm-hmm. So finding something like that, we think, yeah. And then just crazy ones. like I put up a monument in Stranraer to a woman called Margaret Skinner, who um, fought under Countess Markovich during uh, the fight for the Irish Free State. And she kept getting caught uh, in Ireland and she had a broad Glasgow accent, sent back to Glasgow and she would go back over. And when she went back over, she it was Edwardian times. And so she had these like big Edwardian hats, you know, those hats mm-hmm. women war and she used to smuggle detonators in her hats so there'd be hats with all these flowers and stuff on them and she had detonators in taking them over for you know for the cause so those kind of women you know a lot of big personalities people who were doing things and you know all different kinds you don't have to agree with them you know there were people of all different political persuasions all different classes trying to really give a flavor actually of 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 you know where we come from so obviously we're we're based in, in Glasgow. So talk me yeah. round if if you can some of the the notable women in in Glasgow and, and what you kind of gave them. Um, well, there are loads actually. Um, I think one of the things uh, that I I didn't realise when I started researching the book was that individual places, because of that, social positions or economic positions produce individual kinds of women. So in Glasgow, there's a lot of activists. So you've got your Mary Barbers, mm. but also a lot of suffragettes. So for example, I took down um, all the all the statues in uh, George Square and um, put up in that big central plinth uh, a suffragette called Eunice Murray. And people said if when they heard Eunice speak about the suffrage for women, um, you, you, you know, she was so convincing. There was no way you could hear Eunice speak and not be converted to the cause. She was an amazing mm-hmm. public speaker and actually went on to be a, a, an activist uh, after uh, women gained the vote for, for other uh, equality causes. Um, there's a woman in Glasgow that I discovered had come to Glasgow. She's a black woman, had come from the West Indies. Her name was Doll. And um, she was very wealthy. She was a free black woman, brought some of her grandchildren and children to be educated in Scotland. Um, And she arrived in Glasgow in the early 19th century and caused an absolute stir, complete riot. And I wanted to put something up to her because we have that connection in Glasgow, you know, to that colonial trade. Mm -hmm. And she was a woman who'd really bucked that. In fact, she had a couple of uh, white uh, son-in-laws and she lent them money when their businesses went down because she you know she was so mm. rich mm-hmm. she had made so much money and then women like baby brune who was an early hollywood um uh, was was active in early Hollywood. She was a stunt woman, and she was also the leg double for Marlene Dietrich. So oh, Marlene wow. Dietrich apparently raging that they didn't want to use her legs. <laughs> they preferred baby's legs, uh, um, and baby also got talked by uh, by Hitchcock into doing some fairly daring stunts. Um, she ended up in terrible cold water for a long time, and I think ended up with pneumonia at one stage uh, from doing stunts in early Hollywood. So there's a lot to be proud of, and and just imprinting that on the on the landscape. So for example, one of the things that I decided to do was hang in Glasgow was hang a big screen off the Finiston Crane and then um, in the summertime project uh, um, footage of Glasgow's Amazing Women onto that screen. Mm. So it's like making it really visible because one of the issues we have when we do put up um, monuments to women is they tend to be at the back, they're at the side, they're in a week, you know, our central space is already taken up by the men, there's no room left. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to bring women back into that 
sort of central square like Eunice and George Square or um you know you know really put them yeah. in the, in the main places mm-hmm. how what am I trying to say <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how how likely do you think it is that something like this will make a difference and help make a, a dent and you know changing that landscape and starting to introduce you know monuments to women because another thing that really struck me in your introduction was when you said there's only only 15 percent of statues in the uk are actually dedicated to women and mm. most of them are to queen victoria and she now, loved a statue she, she, victoria. she was a, a wonderful woman and, and she hasn't a whole era named after her but she's not the only mm. woman the that only was woman. successful yeah well I think it's about just making that argument in the book. I mean, it's very brave of Historic Environment Scotland who are publishing the mm-hmm. book and they have actually commissioned maps with some of it in the book of some of these monuments, you know, showing where they would be. Um, and I suppose the first thing you have to do is be able to imagine it. You know, if you can't dream it, you can't build it. And I would really hope that people would look at this because it's not, you know, statues are very expensive once mm-hmm. you start into that. But there are a lot of things in the book that could be done with very little money. And and this is all also um, legislated at local levels. So this is something that local councils can look at and say, oh, actually, we've got all these women who are connected to our area and we could do flower beds to them. We could put up a bench. We can have a, you know, it's not, it doesn't mm. have to be the, you know, £50,000 statue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it can be done within, you know, a much tighter budget. Although I think we need some statues. I think Eunice should definitely be, you know, on top of that column. So I suppose we have to see, because um, I'm a novelist, so it's my job to dream it. It's mm-hmm. my job to think it and to, to sort of... Um, to come up with those ideas it's it's not really my job to to do it because sadly i'm not in charge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be good if we were though wouldn't it yeah oh, exactly. lovely, wouldn't it? I mean, and it's... i think actually even if all it does is that some people read this book and think oh my god i come from something amazing mm. why can't i do something amazing um and that's that's the real tragedy it's something that solnit said in her original essay in, in the new yorker is you know what would it be like to grow up in a world where the streets were named after women where the whole world is gendered to include you mm-hmm. that's an amazing feeling for a young person that you know oh there's a huge statue to a mm. female scientist it's possible to be a female scientist mm-hmm. and actually to win at that to win to the degree that you're memorialized 100 years 200 years, whatever it is, after your death. So, Well, that's just what I was about to ask, actually. How important is it to have these women visible and memorialised for perhaps young girls growing up in Glasgow? And I'm not sure if you'll have spoken to people that say, you know, because you're not seeing these names, you're not seeing these women, mm. it seems as though it's a narrative that just excludes you and that you couldn't break into. Totally. Is that something that you've experienced? Do you think it would make a genuine difference to young girls and... I mean, young boys as well growing up yeah. and just seeing this good balance and thinking, yeah, OK, this is an open playing field. This is a real world. Yeah. This is a real world. And, and we've, we've been living in a highly edited world. Um, so, yeah, I think it is really important. And I, I think there's that thing that, you know, I'm, I'm a mother and I have a mother, as we all do. Yeah. This is something we all have in common. So I look at my family and I think, you know, I look at, at what I've learned during the course of writing this book about, say, the suffragettes, and I think my great granny, who supported votes for women, mm-hmm. um, I think, oh my God, she changed the world for me. And what my mother did with that kind of early feminism, you know, it's very different from feminism mm-hmm. today, that early feminism where, you know, you broke your bra and said you thought the pill was a good idea. Like, it's a low bar these days. <laughs> but uh, you know, we might not even call that person a feminist <laughs> these days. But my mother did that. 
you know, my mother did that for me. And, that, and it really makes you think, well, actually, what am I going to do mm-hmm. for my daughter mm-hmm. and my goddaughters, you know, any generations after that? Or actually, my, you know, I don't have a son, but I have nephews, for example, as you say, it's really important. But also there's a sense in which I don't think I could have written those, this book without being dragged on by those future generations. So the, 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 that, that generation ahead of you have a part to play. And my mother is still a very old fashioned feminist. You know, she doesn't get the trans debate. She's, mm-hmm. you know, that is beyond her. She's in her eighties, uh, and I'm very lucky in that my kid uh, Molly and, and my godchildren as well are, are are very much sort of bringing that, you know, updating my feminism mm-hmm. as I go along. And so there's that really real sense of the continuum that you've got stuff that you can do for the next generation, but actually the next generation uh, uh, need to pull us on as well. And, and that's something that y- you see with a lot of this sort of environmental debate that's mm-hmm. going on, actually. Mm-hmm young people leading the way and and that's hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think as well we've obviously seen quite a big cultural shift in the last kind of few years, maybe a few decades as well, where feminism is now becoming cool. You know, yeah. I think before feminism was quite taboo and people were, th- it was kind of dismissed. It was a dirty word. Ah, oh, and people were, oh. I have always been, a fe- I have to say, I have always been a big dirty feminist. <laughs> and, and worse than smell it, you know, my, my daughter and I run a, a perfume company called Reek mm-hmm. and at Reek we mix perfumes that memorialise amazing Scottish women. So oh, we have really? a perfume called Damn Rebel Bitches, which was what the Hanoverian press called <laughs> the Jacobite women. Yep. And we have a perfume about the witches as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we, we are unashamedly smelly feminists. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the purpose of that company is to create um, a connection with women now to women to the past, mm-hmm. but also that ev- any woman can be a memorial. Mm-hmm. You know, you put on that perfume and you remember the amazing Jacobite women mm. like Flora MacDonald or um, Anne McIntosh or, uh, and they're in the book. Mm-hmm. And, and that brings me to another point because we've talked about individual monuments, but actually also another thing that I felt was really important to memorialise are group monuments. Mm. So after the Jacobite uprising in 46, the, the Redcoats came into Scotland and they were basically trying to suppress everyone. They, they killed the cattle and they, they burnt down people's crofts and, and they raped the women. There was a kind of... Um, uh, a directive and it's something that's used in wars today that kind of physical violence uh, against women and so I went to a, a historian I know and I said you know how many women do you think were raped and he said oh well you know four Highland counties in the 1740s there was probably 160,000 women living then if you cut out the very young and the very old um, you know to, to achieve that today if you're looking at places that happen say in Africa where they would go in and rape women mm. to subdue the population it's about 10 percent so that's 16,000 Gaelic speaking women in the 1740s potentially we don't know because there's no mm. records mm. of it you know, there's no rape crisis center mm-hmm. and these are Gaelic speaking women so it's not written down it's not you know it, and they're ashamed of it yeah. they're largely Catholic they're really ashamed of it mm-hmm. so they don't talk about it and so I think those kind of monuments are, are really important culturally as well. And, and those women, those Jacobite women who stood up for their cause, didn't fight for what they believed in, but, but certainly were in the background there and supporting it. Their daughters became involved in the Highland Clearances. Their granddaughters became involved in the rent strike, the suffrage movement, the struggle for women's education. We have generations of amazing grandparents, you know, yeah. and we don't know it. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's kind of more of a acceptance towards people actually learning these stories now and because it is so much now in the public domain and you're starting to hear more of women's stories, do you think it's something that people would perhaps now maybe more than previously be very interested to hear about and think actually, yeah, this like is right, we should be hearing this. To, to yeah. seek out I this hope so. information. Yeah. <laughs> 
mean, I find it fascinating, but I've always been, you know, really interested in women's history. It's, it's my kind of thing. I've been writing about it in terms of novels and stuff for years. So, um, but uh, I suppose we're going to see. Yeah. So how, I mean, this just sounds like an absolutely massive undertaking. <laughs> how, how, talk, talk me through the process. How long did it take you? Um, I'd written a book or uh, I'd written a short story for a book called Bloody Scotland, same publisher. And um, as part of that, I had uh, I had uh, been in some historic environment Scotland properties and had gone back to the publisher and said, well, you've not got many women in these properties. Um, and and we talked about this project, this Rebecca Solnit project, which was... Jamie, the publisher, had had seen as well, so he knew. And it was him that actually said, "Why don't we do? Why don't you do the whole country?" And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> yes!" <laughs> it's like that thing of like, "Oh my god, can I actually do this?" And then it was like, "I'm going to do it." So daunting, but also uh, yeah. an incredible yeah. challenge. Like, so yep, that coffee was in February uh, last right. year. Okay, um, and then I handed in the first draft in August, so there was no sleep. Yeah, it was really, 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 it was really intense. It was kind of the only way to do it. And then there was a long editing process where um, the editor that I was assigned called Christine uh, at Historic Environment Scotland was amazing because once you've had that kind of imaginative um, engagement with something, you're a bit mad. (laughs) Writers have this reputation for being a bit mad. And it's true Mm. because once you've done that, you're a bit kind of off your face with it. It's quite quite strong magic. Um, And so she was really great coming back to me and saying, "Okay, I think we need a little bit more about this woman maybe a little bit less about this women's mm-hmm. are and and just kind of helping helping to 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 get the tone of it right um and we probably edited for a back and forward for about 3 months all the different sections and then they commissioned um Jenny Proudfoot who's an amazing illustrator to make some maps uh for the book and how was that seeing what you had imagined and pictured in your head coming to, to life in an il- illustration? It was amazing. I mean, I, I have got a children's book out this year, actually, that I wrote with my daughter, which is all about Nessie. It's called Monsters Unite. And so I'm used to working with illustrators. And actually, that was a Glasgow illustrator that illustrated that mm. book, a guy called Ian Cam- Carroll, who's he's, he's kind of really into monsters. He sometimes branches out into dinosaurs, <laughs> but really he likes monsters. And so I'd, 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 done, I'd had that process before of telling a story that I had to go alongside. But it was great because she... Um, she, she, I, I don't know quite how to put this. She, um, she was really good at making it visually work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because you know, I had imagined stuff, but that didn't mean I'd visually imagined it. I was yeah. like, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was a whole lot of stars that went off in the sky to commemorate the witches? Oh, that's a yeah. good idea. I've just written it down. Just make a constellation. Yeah. yeah. What we need is this sort of thing. So she was yeah. great because she was like, I'm going to illustrate that one, but maybe not that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that was quite you know quite an interesting yeah. quite an interesting sort of process and it, it's really beautiful to see like I like her illustrative work I like her style so it's kind of a bit of an honour really to to have them go to the trouble of making maps which are at the beginning of each section and they haven't illustrated all of them because there are you know over a thousand mm. monuments um, and just to be specific about Glasgow um, when I started to write the book there were five statues to women in Glasgow um, one Victoria uh, and by the time I'd finished, there were seven, and in the book, there's 172. Wow. So that's, you know, we're still at a very low end of the bar. I mean, mm-hmm. I know, uh, as, as I was writing the book, the statue to Mary Barbara and, and the Rent Strike Women were, was unveiled, and everyone was all, this is amazing, we've made it. We are nowhere near yeah. making mm-hmm. it. You know, we're, we're well far off making it. By comparison, do you know how many statues there are of men in Glasgow? I don't actually. Someone should, someone should count that. 
Well, I mean, the rest of them in... I mean, we, you only need to walk down a street in Glasgow and there's a statue at the end of it. There are and the street's often street named corner. after a man. I mean, I find myself yeah. raging. I live in the West End of Edinburgh and so I'm wandering about the West End of Edinburgh down Walker Street, mm. named after Robert Walker, thinking, what about Mary and Barbara? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, God, only seven? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, there are they, those are sta- actual statues. Yeah, but yeah it's but, crazy. Um, but when you think it... They are almost at the end of every street corner in Glasgow. You turn around and there's something else, and there's listen. You're doing better than Edinburgh. There's three in central Edinburgh. Oh my goodness, uh, a Victoria <laughs> and two Mary Queen of Scots. Like it yeah. is woeful, really, really woeful. So when what what are some of your highlights from the book? Then some of your favourite women that you didn't know um, existed before you you started out. Um. Well, I am a writer, so there's some writers that really struck a chord mm. with me. Mary Brunton, who came from Barra, eloped with her husband, who was a minister, um, and he took a job at the University of Edinburgh, and she wrote two novels and was in the middle of her third novel when she died uh, in the early 18th century in childbirth. And uh, her novels were massively successful, like absolutely huge, uh, translated into French, and her second novel inspired Jane Austen to write Emma. Wow. So it's kind of a pre-Emma, Emma. Yeah. Um. And she's buried in the Canongate Kirk and there there is a plaque to her and her husband, the same plaque, mm. um, but there's nothing to, to Mary. So definitely she would be one of the ones I'm like, what are we doing? Not memorialising, mm. not memorialising that. Um, I suppose who else are among my favourites? Um, I think I, I kind of like the the Dundee women, you know, some of the Dundee women. Dundee had the first maid servant strike uh, in the UK, I mean, anywhere. Um, and and a lot of the there was a lot of strong Dundee women, so I kind of liked the fact that Dundee produced some female engineers and a whole crop of kind of late 18th century uh, working class poets, female poets. Um, so yeah, that and I I think um, in terms of large monuments to groups of women, my favourite one probably. Uh, is the one that I made up to the Highland Clearance Women. So um, and it's based on a, 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 a monument that exists in Germany, uh, not to the Highland Clearance Women, mm. but, but for something else. Uh, and it's a massive piece of stone, like absolutely huge, the size of a building. And underneath it um, are uh, the villages, the names of the cross and the villages that exist. And it's placed in boggy ground so it can sink into the ground along wow. with the memory uh, of these women. And so that, I think, was one of my favourite ones, just because it's so monumental. And, and and the Highlands was great for that. I put a lot of these mo- monuments, uh, this ki- these kind of monuments in the Highlands, just because mm. they can become part of the landscape in a totally sort of unique way. Yeah. So anybody who is picking this book up has yeah. to come at it with a bit of imagination and a bit, <laughs> of, a, and a bit of an open mind. What would, what would you say to anybody that was picking it up and, and cracking the cover for the first time? I'd say don't read all of it at once. It's a guidebook. And it, it reads like a guide, but you'd never sit down to read the whole of the rough guide. So go to some places maybe that you know and discover the women that um, and, the, and their stories uh, from, from that place. Um, and then, you know, maybe branch out from that. Uh, I, I think that's what I do. I remember when I the first, because I live in Edinburgh, the first section I wrote was Edinburgh. And I, I phoned Jamie up after I'd written Edinburgh. I was like, it's really dense. And then he was like, as dense as the rough guide. And I was like, maybe not as dense as the rough guide, but, but close to that. Mm. So... Um, and that was a conscious decision. I could have decided they would have let me just pick 50 women. And I was like, no way. If we're going to yeah, do this, we're gonna we, do it we need the volume. Because that's the shocking thing is like 
page after page after street after hill after everything you know we have thousands and thousands of these uh, amazing women and I've been very privileged in the last few weeks I've met some people who whose grannies and grand great grannies are, are memorialized in the book unexpectedly I, I just ended up speaking to this girl at an event and I was telling her about the book and she was like oh my granny was a writer and I was like oh what's her name and she told me and I said oh she's in the book and she was like oh but you know she just you know she was big in America but she didn't do much here and I was like well your granny cracked the biggest most difficult market in the world and you're just talking that down right there. What's going on? And she was like, I write love. <laughs> and I was like, well, you just got to stop doing that. Yeah, what away. chance she got. <laughs> so um, did you get the opportunity to visit many of these places and, and visualise yourself, you know, where you were putting these monuments? Yeah, some of them. I mean, not all of them, but some of them. And um, it's the longest acknowledgements, actually, that I've ever written for a book, uh, was writing for this, mm. writing the acknowledgements for this book, because once I had said I was doing it, um, people were just so helpful and so supportive, and I wanted to try and sort of get all of them in in the acknowledgements. So there's pages of it, of people who came up with ideas or came back to me about information, or uh, I did a couple of shout-outs even on Twitter, said, you know, who do you think are the most amazing women? So people coming back with, mm. you know, their picks. Um uh, and uh, people in specific locations, so being able to phone up, for example, curators in museums that I wasn't able to visit that area and say to them, look, who is in your area? What have you got in your collection? Even if it's not on display. I mean, of that, when we're talking about, you know, the Bethany Hughes 0.5%, yeah. you know, the, the, a lot of that is in archive. So that's not 0.5% of what's on display. That's 0.5% of what's in the basement, you know, mm. So as well. So, um it was quite exciting, I think, or hope it was quite exciting and not just to pay the ass for them to have somebody phone up and say, well, actually, what have you got that you're not putting on display mm -hmm. about uh, about the women in your area? Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Where are all the women published by Historic Environment Scotland, Scotland. written by the lovely Sarah Sheridan <laughs> out next week? Hurrah! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> A Week in the Weege is a Radio Clyde News production. For the latest around the clock, follow on Twitter at Radio Clyde News.